Take out your Bibles, Genesis chapter 27. As we're getting towards the halfway point, we'll be speeding things up here a little bit as we continue to journey through the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And tonight, a message that is so important to each one of us. Any last requests? You know, the Christian life very often begins and kind of journeys along for a while and has its ups and downs. But it really isn't how you start. It's not where you start. It's not when you start. It really is how you finish the race that matters. And one of the things that I've always concerned myself with, at least for the last decade or so, is Lord, don't let me stumble across the finish line in my journey, in my walk with you. Don't let me blow it right as I get towards the victory lap, amen? Some of us are old enough, we're on the victory lap. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're on that last, you know, we're, we're like, you know, we're, we're close. We're getting near to heaven. And there's a propensity that we have as human beings very often to kind of coast when we start getting out there towards the end of the journey. And you can tell where someone's walk is very often by the things that occupy their time, their talent, their treasure, and their talk. What do they talk about? What occupies their thought process? When you talk to someone and a vast majority of what they talk about is what the Lord's doing in their life and their ministry opportunities and the things that God's doing and these things that we would call the work of the Spirit, you kind of go, you know, there's something going on in that person's life. But when you talk to somebody and they rarely mention the Lord and from watching them you can't actually tell if they really love the Lord and they certainly aren't serving the Lord, then one has to question are they really running the race to win? And so here we pick up in the latter years of Isaac's life, and and though we're going to see him for seven more chapters, we actually have here in chapter 27, uh, really what what amounts to his last request. And we can tell a lot by the way he handles himself here in this request. And so this is kind of another how not to, what not to do passage, but it's very instructive for our own personal walks. And so would you pray with me? And we'll dig in at verse 1 here in chapter 27. Father, we want to finish well. I want to finish well. As individuals, as a church, we want our last days to be better than our first days. And to Father, would you help us to glean from this passage of Scripture the life of Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob. And so help us, Lord, as we study your word to grow in your knowledge and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Genesis 27. Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. In other words, he's blind. He's no longer able to see, he's being cared for, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son? And he, that would be Esau, answered him saying, here I am. And then he said, behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now that should clue you in that the end is near, amen? Amen. He's blind, he's really focusing on, I don't know how much longer I have, Uh, I've got a little more time, I believe, but my day might be very, very close, my time might be done, I may be near the end of the race. And now therefore, please take all the things I've taught you and let's make sure we push towards evangelism as a family, let's you and I do some things for the Lord before I check out. Oh, wait a second, that's not what it says. 
Please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. At the end of his life, he's concerned about his own flesh. He's concerned about filling his belly. And I want you to see this in verse 4. And make me savory food such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat. That my soul may bless you before I die. I want to put a blessing on you son. And the way for you to get that blessing. Is to bring back some rock and chili. I'm. I really kind of want my my last days to be spent pretty much eating until I can't eat anymore. And these are basically his last words. He's saying, this is what I want. Here at the end of my life, I'd like to have a big porter. If you haven't eaten dinner yet, I'm sorry. Like a big fatty porterhouse like every day until I go home to be with Jesus. There's no mention of his walk with the Lord. There's no mention of spiritual things. He's had a shift in his paradigm. He's now simply taking care of himself. And while it's not wrong to look forward to those days when maybe you slow down a little bit, I think he's slowed down completely to a stop, and in fact, he's going the other way now. You you could almost see in the way he cares for himself, it's like, there's really nothing that, I have to say, look, I can tell you one of the things that happens to you as you you grow in your adventure in ministry, it it becomes no longer what you can do. It becomes what you know, what you've experienced, how the Lord's used you. The most valuable thing that I have going on for me right now is the cumulative effect of 30 years of studying God's word. And, And it's up here. It's not down here. It, it's something that you could still be very useful in. Isaac could be used mightily of the Lord just in simply conveying the experiences that he's had with God, and yet he's kind of focused on what he's going to have for dinner. And we need to be careful about our priorities as, as we get a little older, as we run that race of faith. And you can tell a lot as people mumble their last words, the great mathematician from the second century BC, Archimedes of Syracuse, his last words were, wait, I have to finish this problem. Uh, There's so many of them from the Civil War. One of my favorites is from uh, General John Sedgwick. And and he's on his, with his troops on the front line. And he says, oh, those guys couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And he dropped over dead. He was shot by a sniper from 1,200 yards. You know, he, he was really just thinking, oh, I'm safe here. I'm good here. Some people, it's really, you know, they're ready to go. Former President Woodrow Wilson said, I, I'm ready to go. Jesus' last words were, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You can kind of tell where people are by what occupies their thoughts in their, in their very deepest moments. And while it's super important that we recognize Isaac was a dedicated man to the Lord, um, he was willing to allow himself to be put on the altar if necessary to be killed for the Lord. I mean, that's a pretty strong testimony, amen? Probably not many of you said, yeah, my dad was told by God to kill me, and I said, okay. You know, that, that's a fairly strong beginning. He's made some mistakes. We've seen those mistakes in his life, but he trusted God even to the point of choosing a wife for him. Choosing a, choosing a mate, if you will, for his life. Both he and Rebecca knew how to pray. They knew how to seek God. They, they had spent their time with the Lord. Their, their home, as far as we can tell, was a place where God was honored. But now he gets down to the end and it's kind of going the other direction. What happened? Why was he in a state of spiritual decline? Why was he concerned about the things that maybe are not so important? 
And I think the picture here is our Christian life should be, at the very least, a rather steady decline towards the end, and we should be coming more and more useful until the Lord takes us home. Now, that may look differently when you're in your 60s, 70s, or 80s. That may look differently uh, for each of us, but we should be more useful to the Lord when we cross the finish line rather than less useful. It's about finishing well. The Apostle Paul made that very clear there in 1 Corinthians, which we've been studying on Wednesday or on Thursday nights, rather, and verse 24 of chapter 9 if you remember if you were with us he says do you not know those who run the race all run but one receives the prize there's one winner and then he encourages us run in such a way that you may obtain it and that everyone who competes competes in such a way that they would be able to win that they'd be tempered in all things and we're running for For Paul said, an imperishable crown. We're we're not running for a hunk of meat. We're running for the glories of heaven. Paul said similar things to the church at Galatia. They're in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. Uh, And he said to them, he said there in verse 7, he says, "You, you ran well. Who hindered you in obeying the truth, getting to the finish line? He would write much the same thing to Timothy. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally, there's a crown laid up for me in heaven. These things are not what we see in in the life of Isaac and Rebekah. And in fact, we see exactly the opposite. They're they're witness. I don't think the angels are going to be bragging about how Isaac and Rebekah finished. Remember, they had a little problem. Their family was kind of prone to not telling the truth, amen? That's kind of a learned behavior in their family, and it seems to plague them right here at the end. And so what was the problem with them? Same problem, by the way, as Lot and Gideon, Saul, Solomon, David. David didn't do so well towards the end of his life. And so there's a lesson for us. What was was the problem? Where did the stumbling occur? One thing's for sure. Isaac put himself ahead of the Lord. He knew he was going to die. And so his understanding, if you will, of things that mattered to him was, I want to take care of myself. I just want some nice food. If you want a blessing from me, is in essence what he's saying, then I want you to go get me some of that nice game that you used to give me when I was younger. So Isaac's kind of in this, in this place of disobeying what the Lord really has for him. Remember, God encouraged him, look, you're going to do well if you dwell in land, if you, if you worship me at your altar, if you dwell in tents, if you don't get too settled in life, you make me first, it's going to go well for you. But when these two boys, Jacob and Esau, are born, God told Isaac and Rebekah that Jacob, the younger son, was going to receive the covenant blessing, and yet Isaac kind of planned to give that blessing to Esau. And so you can see here immediately something is up with his walk with the Lord. He's no longer trusting God. He's kind of focusing in on the flesh. He's looking at those things that we would call, you know, just the, the way we are as human beings, uh, taste, touch, smelling, smell, hear, hearing. Yeah, it's so interesting to me when I look at this that Isaac would now get to this place to where he's watched the Lord be faithful and cover up for his failures and his weaknesses and now it's like I'm just going to go right back to what I was before I really got on fire for you. And for us as the body of Christ, we need to be really careful that we watch out for these things. Because here's what can happen is you start to grow in the Lord and you start to get a little uh, further along in your walk. There's a tendency that we have to start resting on our laurels, so to speak. It's kind of like, well, I'm so much better off spiritually than, than when I got saved. You know, I can kind of just start to coast a little bit. You know, I know what the word says. 
I've kind of been sort of doing it for a long period of time. I don't have any really major sin problems in my life. So I can just kind of kick back and hopefully I'll, I'll kind of cruise into the, into the last years of my, my life. And what happens is those things that have not been dealt with in your life fully and completely have a tendency to rear their ugly head again. Now all of a sudden those old habits, those old friends, those old desires pop back up. Things that you once had victory over because you're no longer attending to running the race to win. You're running the race so that you just simply finish. Now all of a sudden you don't have the victories anymore. Those things come back to haunt you. They, they squeeze into your life again. And you can see that in the way this family now reacts to this time. Let's pick up in verse 5. And now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. Actually, she wasn't listening. She was eavesdropping. She was sitting behind the tent going, I wonder what they're saying. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. And so Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. So she hears this completely bogus plan. And rather than confronting her husband on it and trusting God, she decides she's going to help God out with even further deception. Can I tell you, this is a bad idea. God does not need us to scheme to get his work done. He does not need us to lie to get his work done. He does not need our help in that sense. We can actually trust him. Verse 8, and now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Now, whose voice should he be following? Actually, the voice of the Lord. Is the Lord ever going to tell you to scheme and lie? Just say no. You had me going there for a second. No. He's not going to tell you to do what he's commanded you not to do. All liars have no part in the kingdom of God. The very last addressing of sin in the Bible. And again, that's not, you know, so you'll freak out. But God's got one opinion on that particular thing. Do you ever see any place in all of scripture where God says, you know, this is your scheming verse. When you don't like what I've said, come up with your own plan and just do it your way. Well, you're not going to find that one either. Now, therefore, my son, you can almost interject this here. Don't do what God tells you to do. Do what I'm telling you to do. Can I tell you the world's going to tell you that? Sometimes your friends are going to tell you that. There'll be occasions when your spouse is going to tell you that, your boss is going to tell you that, you're going to get told, hey, don't listen to the Lord. I mean, that's a little extreme. This whole Jesus thing, you need to be really careful because, man, you are really into this whole word of God thing. Why don't you just start doing it my way? I I got a better plan. I mean, come on, this this is not going to work out for you. We need to help God out. Listen to my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me their two choice kids of goats. Go get me a couple of baby goats. And I will make savory food from them for your father, which he loves. And you shall take it to your father that he may eat of it and he may bless you before his death. So here comes the lying, the scheming, the deception, the plotting. And Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. How would you like to have a name like that? My brother is a hairy beast. And I'm a smooth-skinned dude. I'm, I'm a metro dude. I like get waxed on my legs and everything. I don't know what smooth-skinned means, but you got the hairy guy and the smooth-skinned guy. And perhaps my father will feel me. 
and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring the curse upon myself and not a blessing. Do you notice something here? This whole problem is based on him following his mother's instructions, which are lying, cheating, and deceiving. The only reason he's going to have a problem with Isaac is if he follows his mother's instructions. He's not going to have that problem if he just listens to the Lord. So her lie, her cheating, her deceiving, her scheming has now put her son in harm's way. And while it's his problem that he's going to actually follow and do what she says, this is what this type of lifestyle does in your family. This is what will happen when you stop listening to the Lord, start listening to your flesh, and do what your flesh says over what God says. You can count on it. You're going to get to places where you will be forced to make yet another compromise, yet another scheme, tell yet another lie, be a deceiver again, because it all began with something that you shouldn't have done. And so be very careful, because this whole thing is completely unnecessary. Who made the promise that God was going to bless the descendants of Isaac? Anybody know? His name is G-O-D, God. Amen? So just because Rebecca doesn't quite see how that's going to work out doesn't mean that God is hindered from keeping his promise. Amen? So what's really in view here is Rebecca's trying to help God. Trying to say, man, I don't see how you're going to get this done. So I mean, I, I don't want Esau getting the blessing. So I'm going to have Jacob pretend that he's Esau and I'm going to cook the food. We'll lie to Isaac about it and we'll give him something that's not even the same meat because after all, he's old, he can't smell either. So we'll give him some goat stew and he'll be happy. But his mother said to him, now trying to clean up her own mess, let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. Can I tell you that sometimes people in proper understanding that what they're doing is wrong will make some vows before the Lord and they'll try and take things on themselves because they know they're wrong, but it still does not exonerate you from your part in it. In other words, Rebecca can't take responsibility for Jacob's actions. She's going to own the whole thing, but Jacob is also still going to be in trouble. So no amount of her saying, well, the curse will be on me, is going to make the curse on, any more on her than it would have been before. And he went out and got them and brought them to his mother. His mother made savory food, such as his father loved. And then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, And she put the skins of the kids of the goat on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Can you imagine? I mean, what a plot. It's like, man, we're going to cover you in hair. I mean, this is like something out of a movie. And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So here he comes, dressed up in goat skins, hair on the back of his neck, carrying a plate of goat stew and is going to go in and now talk to his dad. Now look at the things in this tangled web. Look at the deception that's going on here and look at the parts of it that you can clearly see. Where is it that she's, she's blowing it? Number one, she shouldn't have been eavesdropping in the first place, amen? That conversation was not her conversation to hear. And one of the things that bugs me at infinitum is when people start their sentence as they're bringing something to me, well, you know I heard. That's another way of you saying to me, well, you know you sinned. If you can't go to the person about whom you have heard something and talk to them directly, and you need to bring it to me before you brought it to them, just know this, I'm not going to listen. First First thing I'm going to tell you is go back and talk to the person that you heard. I'm going to say, look, 
that, that, that wasn't even, maybe you weren't even supposed to hear that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm simply saying we should not be eavesdropping on everyone else's conversations. And so the first thing, no matter how you frame it, later Esau's going to open up this plan to kill his brother. Rebecca's going to hear it. She's going to get in the habit of hearing things that she's not supposed to hear. Because, you know, here's the crazy thing. People say stuff they don't mean. People say things, and then the Lord speaks into their life. They change their mind. They repent, turn around, and don't do it. But if you've acted on what you have eavesdropped and heard, guess what? The plan is already underway. And there is now no possibility for that person to turn around and repent because you've actually stepped in front of the Lord. So be careful. You hear a little sidebar conversation. I'll give you a little secret. You pray for those people. You spend your time on your knees asking the Lord of hosts to convince their heart that what they're doing they shouldn't do rather than you go try and head it off at the pass yourself. It's tragic. This happens so often in marriage. Anybody in here ever been guilty of hearing only part of a conversation? I have. Then you think you have the whole story. You develop a whole context of conversation around the part that you heard, and you don't have the important parts. How about the scheming they're doing in verses 6 to 10? You're talking about an elaborate plot right here. It's like, okay, well, we're going to cover you. We're going to get your brother's clothes so you smell like him. We're going to get some dead animal skin so you feel like him. We're going to make some stew so you can cook like him. The whole thing's just a plot. It's a scheme. It's nuts. The same thing happens very often when we get into situations in our life where there is a clear wrong that we have done. And rather than admitting we blew it, we try and cover the whole thing up with a whole nother series of events that just simply make it worse. Amen? That's what scheming and eavesdropping and lying does. Before you know it, you've got all kinds of bits and pieces and parts that have to be added to it. Otherwise, the initial plot is found out. And so rather than just owning the initial plot, rather than saying, you know what, I blew it. I was listening to your conversation. I shouldn't have even heard that. I repent. I'm sorry. Now you've got them doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And she just talked to him in the first place while he was out hunting. Maybe he would have just seen the light and said, hey, we need to go talk to dad. But instead, they're going to help God out. Really, James chapter 3 is a, is a New Testament commentary on this very thing. You've got to resist the devil. You, you have to make sure that you're not helping the enemy out. You see, Isaac was depending on his own physical senses. Rebecca was depending on the wisdom of the world. Neither of them was depending on God. And one influenced the other. Can I tell you, when you influence your friends and your family towards the flesh, you're not helping them. They're not going to be closer to the Lord by getting further into their flesh. That's why James 3.16 says, where there's envy and self-seeking, where that exists, confusion and every evil thing will be there. That's what happens when you start resting in the, the arm of flesh. Now you have to uphold this whole thing. Now, I, I've had some, some doozies of things as a camp director where it starts out with something simple like we lit the guy's sleeping bag on fire. This one will be fun for you. I get a call. It's about 1 o'clock in the morning. A fire alarm has gone off. I hop in my vehicle. I run up to one of the boys' dorms. There's smoke pouring out the windows. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, don't let this be something really bad. I get in there, and, and there is a sleeping bag that's out on the deck by now because they've picked it up. It's completely filled with pine cones and pine needles, and it's on fire. 
And so here's how the story goes. Rather than confess that they'd actually stuffed this thing full of pine needles and pine cones and lit it on fire, there was a bear inside of the the dorm. And so they went outside with the sleeping bag and they were going to try and scare the bear by looking huge and they fell down in the pine needles and the pine needles and the pine cones stuck inside of that and when they came back in the building they drug it by a wall heater and it caught fire. Now I'm old and, and I'm not too bright sometimes but I didn't actually believe that. And so the guys that did this thing are pointing at other people. Yeah, they saw it happen. And then finally, I I could see the one that was given in. I said, is that what happened? No! You know, you can always find the one that, you know, you can kind of tell you the truth. I helped them stuff it before we lit it on fire. I said, yeah, well, I knew that. You know, our wise plans... Can I tell you, I'm not as smart as God. You think God can figure out your scheme? You think God can see past all the deception and lies and the weird things that we do? You think maybe he knows the truth? Now he has to deal with that. The final thing that you see here, they're going to make a vow. Look, it's, I'll take the blame for it. I'll take the heat. And while it's semi-noble that at least she realizes, I kind of started this, I should probably get in trouble more than you. Basically, she's evoking what I call the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not get caught. (laughs) Amen? There's a lot of people. Sometimes it's kind of fun to mess with kids. Do you know what the 11th commandment? No, I don't know what it is. Thou shalt not get caught. Oh, really? Yeah, that sounds good. That's what they're doing. They're they're like figuring that they can mess with God. They can mess with poor Isaac. They can get past all this. And so they kind of make a vow together. Look, let the curse fall on me. Now they were both ended up to the riballs and they're both going to pay the price for it. Instead of repenting, they, they make a pact. Look, make no mistake about it. Jesus in John chapter 8 says about Satan himself, says about the devil, he was a liar from the beginning. And when he speaks, he speaks and lies because he is the originator of the father of all lies. So anytime you have to deceive someone, you can be assured that did not come from God. Paul actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 calls Satan also just the deceiver. He's the destroyer. He's the deceiver. And in contrast to that, what does Jesus call himself? The truth. So when you have the truth on one hand and you have deception on the other, as a child of God who's running the race to finish and to finish well, guess which one you should avoid? The deception, the lies, the plotting, the scheming, those things. You can be honest with God. You can tell him, look, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right here, but I know it's not quite going the way we thought it was going to go, so could you help me out? The 32nd Psalm, the prophet David, blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit. You see, for us, we can learn some lessons from this silliness. And really, sometimes when I read this passage, it does almost seem silly, doesn't it? It's like, really? At this stage, it's going to be about, you know, venison and, you know, whether you can cook. I'm pretty sure that's not heavenly stuff. Now, I will admit a Nice ribeye with a little marbled fat on it, cooked properly, is pretty close to heavenly, but it's not eternal, amen? We need to remember eternal things. 
and focus on those, especially as we get a little older. Because here's one of the things that we often forget. As old as these boys are, they're still watching mom and dad. Parents, if you're a parent and you're here tonight, you want to be a parent. There's a lesson for us here. Our kids are always learning. They're always watching. They're always receiving from us either instruction that helps them run well or instruction that hinders them from running well. The choice is yours, whether it points them to Jesus or points them away from Jesus. And if you have to do it in the flesh, I can tell you which way you're pointing them. You're pointing them away from Jesus. And you can see Jacob as he defends this scheme. And, and this really is not only tragic, but it is the nearly 100% accurate portrayal of the circumstances as they will occur in your life when you build a scheme around lies and deception and deceit. Here comes the defense in verse 18. And so he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Check this out. Who are you, my son? He can't see. That's a pretty plain question. I don't know how many of you have ever had the moxie to actually lie about who you are to your parents based on some ability that they might have to touch, feel, or smell you. But I'm pretty sure this is right up there at the top of, man, I am just totally okay with where I'm going here. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Now, do you see the depth of this plot? Because he's actually after the blessing. The blessing of the firstborn. And he's boiled it down to, if I can get the blessing by lying, I'm golden. If I can just get dad in a weak moment to bless me through deception and lies, that's going to be a good thing. I have done just as you have told me. Do you see the web? Do you see the amount of deception and lying that's now woven through the whole thing? I've done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat of my game. There's three lies right there. He's not who he says he is. It isn't his game. He's not the firstborn son. That your soul may bless me. It's one of those great spiritual laws that we need to remember that we are blessed in obedience. We are not blessed in disobedience. You may have providential blessing from God even in disobedience, but if you want the true blessings of the Lord, you have to be doing what God wants you to do. He's universally good to everybody. But if you want his actual blessings, if you want God to put your hand on you and bless you, then you've got to be doing things God's way. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Hey, hey uh, didn't I tell you to go out hunting? You've been gone for eight minutes. And the stew's done. I may be blind, but I'm not stupid. How is it that you found it so quickly? I mean, I sent you out on a hunt. I was kind of expecting maybe tomorrow. I was going to kind of lounge around today, watch a little football. And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Another lie. You see it? It was like one lie after another lie after more deception piled one right on top of another Now he's at this place to where he can't tell the truth or the whole thing comes unraveled. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may 
feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so there's a little bit of indication here that Isaac's starting to kind of get a little bit leery of the situation. It's like, I don't know. It kind of sounds a little off base right now. Not quite sure. And so Jacob went near to his Isaac, his father, and he felt him and he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You know, there's some things you can't change about you. You can, you can have some really good stories, but ultimately people who really know you really know you. Sometimes they can just look at you and tell you what's going on. And the people that are closest to you are also the hardest to deceive. And so Isaac's like, man, this is like weird. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. It's like, man, okay, well, you're hairy enough. That'll do. He gives him an opportunity to repent. Check out verse 24. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought the wine and he drank. His father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. As you look at the end of this, I mean, there's at least six blatant lies linked one right to another. He even lies about his own name, the food who he is, his own identity, whether he actually loves his father. He's a complete, total hypocrite by now. It's like, all I want is the best for me. And so I'll tell you anything you need to hear as long as I get blessed. If you ever get to that place, stop and take a second and ask the Lord, God, is this what you want for me? Because I'm having to do something that you told me I'm not supposed to do in order to get where I'm going to go. And let the Lord change your course. Basically, Isaac asked for identification, likely because he's hard of hearing and hard of seeing. And and he just gets caught up in this whole web. And and you can see him like, man, the voice and the hairy hands just don't match up. Man, I'm not sure what's going on. God always gives us opportunities to come clean. There is no temptation but that which is common to man, and in it there's a way of escape. So God will always give the opportunity to say, no, that's actually a goat skin, Dad. I'm messing with you. I don't know what I was thinking. I listened to my mom. She concocted this plan. We were in it together. It's not totally her fault. I should have never done this. He he could have at any time during this, as each one of these questions were asked him, he, he could have just said, nope. I messed up. But as he says yes and adds one lie to another lie, the consequences of all this get greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. And there's a lesson. And maybe you don't need to learn this lesson tonight, but probably someone in your life either does or will. And so when you catch someone who just isn't honest, When you catch someone who's always scheming to try and get things that the Lord doesn't have for them. When you find those people who always kind of have to go about it in some way that really is most closely associated with the flesh. Stop for a couple of seconds and ask them some of these questions. What are you doing? Is this really you? You see, you can actually first, is this really you? Is this what you want to be known for? Is, is this how you want people to think of you? Do you really need to lie about your food? 
He's lying about his father's wishes. He's lying about the goat's meat and calls it his game. I mean, it's just one right after another. How tragic it is when we get to the end of the race that this is the way our life looks. After Isaac's eaten this meal and he asked Jacob to kiss him, that kiss is even a lie. That which was always intimate between father and son. It's really kind of a picture of Judas, isn't it? Betraying his dad with something that should be wonderful. You can get there. You can start taking parts of your life. I've had innumerable circumstances in my life where I've been ministering to people that are in ministry. And they're actually using parts of their ministry as cover for sin. It's like, well, I'm still teaching. I'm still handling the staff. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing for the Lord. In essence, they're trying to kiss God while on the other side of that equation, they're doing exactly what God told them not to do. And they think God's going to bless them. God's not going to bless them. I'll leave the names out. But I've actually sat with pastors who've left their wives for another woman and think that God is going to put them in another pulpit. It's like, well, you know, I just did the best I could. No, you did not. Because you did the very thing that God told you not to do, and now you're asking God to bless you. It's not going to happen. Not that he can't redeem you, not that he can't forgive you, but don't expect him to bless you if you do exactly what he tells you not to do. Finally, the smell of the garments convinced Isaac that Esau was there. And now the stage is set for the blessing. Now understand that that blessing had spiritual components. It had natural components of the family itself. And it had material wealth associated with it. And not one of those things was going to be real in his life. Oh, he was going to have the money. He was going to have the sonship. He was going to have all the things that the world holds dear. But he was going to lose his character. He was going to lose his witness. And though God's going to make good on this whole mess. He's he's going to redeem it. You can kind of see how this all starts with Isaac. What if Isaac had said, you know, from my last request, could we just sit down and talk? I can't go very far. I can't see anything. But could you guys come and just sit down with me and tell tell me what the Lord's doing in your life? Can we talk about your future and what that looks like? Could I transfer some of my wisdom and knowledge and understanding that I've learned over all these years of being a herdsman here in a desolate region called the Negev Desert? Let me share some of those things so that I leave you with absolutely everything that God has ever shown me. But instead, his last request is fill my belly. Give me something to eat. Sometimes I think about this and go, what would my last words to my sons be? Keep on keeping on, guys. There's still people that need Jesus. You're not done yet. I might be done, but you're not. I know one of my requests would be that every person I've ever met, ever known, ever talked to would come to faith in Jesus. My whole family would walk every minute of every day 
in the service of the king. I know one of them would be, would we affect the world that we live in in such a way that the world would know Jesus? I've had a lot of good meals in my lifetime. One more isn't going to change much of anything that matters. But one more saint will make all the difference in the world. Amen? Let's make sure that the way we cross the finish line is not like Isaac here, just wanting a big hunk of meat. But it's us wanting more of him. Amen? Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness to us as your people. Lord, we all have areas of our life where we can change and be a little bit more like Jesus. And Lord, for these areas that Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau struggled with, Lord, the scheming, the plotting, the trying to help you out, the inability to tell the truth, the taking on plans that are of the flesh, Lord, these things which are so patently not of you, Lord, help us to never, ever get to that place to where we're starting to rely on our flesh. And as we grow and age and head towards the finish line, we, we pray that the smile would be bigger on your face because we've been here serving you. Lord, don't let us give you a frown. Don't let us shame you. Lord, would your name be great amongst the people of this earth because of the things that we've been allowed to do for you. Lord, help our families to grow in your grace, your knowledge. Help us to use, be used of you for your kingdom's sake, for your glory. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your forgiveness, your grace in our lives, for our failures and our weaknesses and our faults. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Help us, Lord, to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.